My name is Rod. Um, my pronouns are he and him. And um, I'm just going to give a little intro to what we're doing the series uh, before Tish comes up and talks to us about Indigenous Hospitality House. Uh, the, the series we're doing, as uh, Kat suggests, is being a neighbour. So we're looking at the idea of being a neighbour uh, in the context of a, of a culture that tends to make us um, very autonomous. Uh, we live these fluid lives where we move around a lot. And so there's all of these things that conspire to make it difficult for us to connect to the actual place where we live. And so the idea of this series is um, to encourage us to uh, try to make those connections with the places where we live and to try to be a neighbour to the people and the animals and the land that um, surrounds us where we find ourselves in, what, in the place that we call home. The other half of that is that um, we have a community prayer and we're trying to allow the community prayer to shape our engagement with neighbourhood. So it's a prayer that we've created, curated, fancy word, out of the last few years of series that we've had and it's a way of trying to encapsulate some of the, the values and some of the um, things that are important for us in this community. So the idea of the series is to try to apply it to the places where we live. So I thought it might be nice um, to, to pray it together. So a lot of you are familiar with it, uh, so you know what's in it. If you're not familiar with it, feel free just this time to, um, to read along. We're not asking you to affirm things that you've never read before. Um, it's an old lawyer trick that we try not to apply here. So feel free just to read along. Uh, I will read the bits that aren't bold and you can read the bits that are. Loving God, help us to remember that you are like Jesus, that you have always been like Jesus, and that Jesus died not so that you could love us, but that we might finally see you and love you. Help us to remember the homeward trip. We look for the coming of your upside-down kingdom. Please make us, please make a way for your kingdom to come today and open our eyes to see it. Help us also to see and honour all those who are so often unseen and dishonoured. We look for your kingdom. Open our eyes. We look for your justice and love in our world. Show us what your work of justice and love looks like for us at this time and in this place. Loving God, show us. Call us to doubt so that faith may take new forms. Give us faith so that doubt may not overwhelm us. Let us join in with your activity. Lead us into deep trust. Give us doubt. Give us faith. Make us a well of life-giving water when we are together and when we are apart. Help us to walk gently with those who are afraid to drink. Give us life. Give us patience. Please unify us without bruising the beauty of our diversity so that we might be not just consumers of a service, but a beloved community who carry each other's burdens. Make us a beloved community. Help us to be custodians of this place like those who came before us. And may we always honour its original custodians, the Wurundjeri people, 
Help us to live Sabbath lives of gratitude, generosity, and rest, we pray, dear God, in this Sabbath year. We pray this in the name of Jesus, knowing that he, with you and your spirit, are already and in every moment pulling all things towards justice and love. So today, um, Tisha's going to focus on these two parts of the community prayer, just looking at justice and love, and uh, of course, honouring the original custodians of this land. We'll, we'll talk more about that. Um, I just wanted to talk, talk briefly about um, something that I read this morning. So I'm... I, read Richard Raw's Daily Meditations, and I'm about a week behind. Uh, so <laughs> this morning I was reading, just by coincidence, uh, reading his Daily Meditations, and it talked uh, about this Indigenous elder from uh, the United States, Stephen Charleston, elder of the Choctaw Nation, and a retired Episcopal bishop. And he was talking about this powerful mystical experience that he had where he felt God um, talking to him as uh, a Native American grandmother. I'll just read the quote for um, listeners here. One of my images of God is that of grandmother, the wise old Native woman with gray hair and eyes as ancient as the earth. She takes my face gently in her hands and holds me in her gaze as she tells me what she thinks I need to know forming the words slowly so I can remember them and let them sink in. And it just occurred to me as I, as I read that, it, it made me, um, ironically because it's such a hell and judgment passage, but it made me think about um, Matthew 25 and the story where Jesus tells the parable of um, the ruler who separates people into the sheep and the goats and um, says to the sheep, the people on the ruler's right, the just, that they are um, welcome to be with the ruler and the just say, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the ruler will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. And it just occurred to me that uh, with this intimate connection between the way we picture who our neighbor is and the way we picture God, that the, the dominant image or images that we have of God and who God is can so easily shape sense we have of who our neighbor is. Um, if our image of God is as a straight white man, then that can so easily and quickly shape our sense of who neighbor is. If our image of God is uh, a Native American, an indigenous Australian grandmother, um, if our image of God is Auntie Jean Phillips, who we saw speak to us a few weeks ago, then um, that radically transforms our sense of who neighbor is. So this morning, as, um, as Tish talks about her experience at Indigenous Hospitality House, um, 
I just wanted to share that to you, what came to me this morning uh, as a way of, I guess, continuing to challenge our sense of who is neighbour. Um, that's been, I guess, a bit of a theme the last few weeks, looking at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, that Jesus seeks to surprise and overturn his listeners' sense of who neighbour is and God calls us to always, always challenge our sense of who neighbour is and realise that that what Jesus begins in this parable is a process of constantly questioning who who is our neighbour and who is it unimaginable to us to see as neighbour and that is actually the people who God is working through. Um, There's a couple of little quotes that I came across this week. Paula Darcy, God comes to us disguised as our life, I love that. And um, James Finley, who's also part of the Centre for Action and Contemplation with Richard Raw, talking about the things that are in the way are the way. And the slideshow must mean that it's time to pass over to Tish. Um, I've given Tish the slightly taller Is it on? Oh, yeah. I'm going to have to do this on my phone today. This is millennial. <laughs> Can't even lean with your phone when you're up the front. Um, but like, uh, even though I am a millennial, I'm also actually really slow with it. So... <laughs> It's win-win. If you ask any of my brothers or my family, I'm like uh, barely better than my 95-year-old father uh, with his phone. I wanted to actually start with a quote by Lilla Watson. It's attributed to her. uh, She's an activist, academic, an artist. Um, But it's important to note also that she actually slightly hates this quote being attributed to her because uh, uh, she says that this quote is actually collective belief sort of born from the activist groups that she was a part of. Um, and it's a quote that has served as a motto for sort of many activist groups. And now I'm struggling to find where it was. Whoops. Here we go. And it reads, if you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work. you have come here to help the disabled, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And so I guess kind of what I have been thinking a lot about lately in terms of being a neighbour and also in sort of living at the Sisters Hospitality House, which I'll explain a bit more about in a minute, so don't worry if you're like, I don't even know what that is, but please feel free to say whatever. Um, But I've been thinking about that quote and other things and thinking that being a neighbour is also about acknowledging the ways in which we struggle to be a neighbour and which our lives can decide and in which we can make a difference. And I think that's a lot of what leadership is. And I've been thinking about hospitality and being a neighbour. And I think that being a neighbour is 
like I was saying today, is that seeking of justice together. And I think that one of the ways to do that is in the giving and receiving of hospitality. Um, I think that hospitality is a gesture Um, but yeah, first I wanted to just kind of explain what IHH, which I've been saying a lot, I realised, which stands for the Village Hospitality House, as Vicky say. Um, it's about 800 metres up the road. I think I pointed in the right direction. Yeah, pretty close, yeah. Slightly that way. I, somewhere in that direction. Maybe Google map it rather than if you're trying to get there, don't go by from how I pointed. It's like up that way and then turn right down Drummond. So like close-ish. Um, and so the Indigenous Hospitality House is essentially a big house in Carlton North. A couple of us in this community, Warwick's up the back, lives there. Josh is not here at the moment. Um, we live there. And um, I want to also name, before I sort of explain too much more about it, that it's weird for me as a non-Indigenous person, as a white person, to be speaking about these things. And I want to name that I'm not speaking on behalf of any Indigenous people. I'm merely speaking from my own sort of limited understanding as someone who attempts to be a neighbour um, to Indigenous people. And part of that is through living and working um, or volunteering at the Indigenous Hospitality House. So the Indigenous Hospitality House has been running for over 18 years and we host Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander folk who come to Melbourne for hospitals. So they might have friends or family uh, staying in hospitals nearby, or they might have hospital appointments as well. So we see people sometimes when it's just something like they've got to have like a root canal but go under or something, they have to come to Melbourne, maybe it's like some minor dental thing. Or sometimes we see people when they've had transplants and they might stay with us for a month just to recover. Or sometimes we see people in some of the hardest places in their lives. And it's uh, one of the most incredible privileges of my life to get to be there and to offer what hospitality I can. Um, so we cook dinners every weeknight um, uh, together. Sometimes we have visiting volunteers who come in and they help us prepare the meals and people are always welcome to come in and live with us and eat with us. And we have endless cupcakes, which is always a which is why later you'll see all the teapots over there, some of you already noticed, which is why later we'll um, like do tea and cupcakes and things like that. It'll be a wonderful communion. And Belle has also kindly, uh, she didn't realise it was going to be used in communion, but she bakes some beautiful banana bread and I co-opted it for communion. It is, I believe, dairy-free, but it is not gluten-free, so I'm really sorry, gluten-free people, but there is crackers. But you're all only going to get crackers anyway because my preparedness, so anything else is a bonus. And, and nut-free. And nut-free. Vegan and nut-free. All right. Um, I'm going to get back my phone now that I have these questions. All right. So I started with that quote because I really like the idea of hospitality and justice as justice. Um, and if you sort of look at the word hospitality, because I think it's like something that we throw around a lot and sometimes it sort of becomes something that we're like, oh, it's like cups of tea and it's just 
having nice teapots out and sitting around and or maybe it's letting someone stay but we kind of sometimes limit it or we sort of put it in a very domestic realm which is absolutely nothing wrong with but I think it's more than just that as well um I was gonna like look at the Greek word but it feels a bit pretentious um but basically but it is useful as well so bear with me <laughs> It comes from the Greek word hostis or hostis, which actually means stranger or the enemy. And I think that's interesting, especially when we're talking about neighbours. And that's why I wanted to mention it, not to be pretentious. Um, because <laughs> it's quite odd, right? Isn't it? Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Linguistics pal. <laughs> um, and it's where we get our words for host, hospice, hospital, so hospitality in its very roots is kind of a little bit radical because it literally takes the meaning of the sort of word of enemy, of stranger, and it flips it on its head. And that, I think, is really interesting because hospitality is to be welcoming, it's to receive people, it's to take in, it's to make people feel comfortable. And it's really interesting that the root there is stranger or enemy, outsider and not neighbour, because I think that's where hospitality gets really interesting. Um, throughout the Hebrew Bible, hospitality, the theme of hospitality, and I would say that it's even a mandate, it runs deeply throughout the whole thing from the very start. Adam and Eve, the first sign that something is wrong with them is when they hide from God. They can't offer any hospitality, they hide in the desert. Abraham lets in strangers or angels, when he's trying to find a servant to find a wife for it, sorry, when he sent a servant to find a wife for his son, the servant chose a wife based on who showed him hospitality, which woman gave him water from the well. I mean, these stories are very weird, but there's interesting, this thread of hospitality that runs through it as well. The woman who drew and offered the servant water from the well and invited him to rest in her one that was chosen as the wife. That was the sign. And the Hebrew Bible tells us lots and lots, countless stories where hospitality is central. Where it's central, not just to the story, but to like the very work that God is doing. I think also hospitality is often costly and risky, maybe even dangerous. It's not just mere meals. It's sheltering strange people. It's from foreign lands who you don't know. It's feeding them. It's taking the risk on them. It sometimes requires sacrifice. We see lots of examples of people who don't have much giving it anyway. And it's risking that maybe the next meal that they're going to have. And I think that is the very work of God. And I wanted to read a passage from Isaiah 58, verses 6 to 7. And he says, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? I think that's, beautiful transformation because I think sometimes we can be quite, sorry, they find it pretty hard to fast, but 
<laughs> it can be easier sometimes maybe actually for us to give up things or to not do things than to do the work of the church or to do the work of justice. And I really like that image of setting the oppressed free, breaking every yoke, and that is sharing your food with the hungry and providing the poor, housing, clothing, all of those practical things as also a form of fasting, a form of worship at the table And so I was looking up um, definitions of justice because it's another word that's thrown around a lot and it means different things to different people. And one of the simplest ones I found was just transform someone. Um, and so I think that that's a, But I think this really connects to what we're talking about this morning. So I think that to act justly, at least in my life, one of the ways I try to do that is to practice hospitality and to receive hospitality from people. And so I think that that's justice doing the things that we do. Doesn't uh, say over from above, but I think it is true. Um, and so I wanted to share um, an interesting story of hospitality, which is not related to the Indigenous Hospitality House, exactly. Um, uh, in one of my day jobs, um, I work in the city and I take teenagers on educational walks. I run empathy workshops with them. Um, so bear in mind that I usually tell the story to like a group of 30, 15-year-olds like on the street. So... <laughs> Um, if I at all sound condescending or like I'm talking down to you, I promise I'm not. Um, but we start our walks, uh, the idea of the walks is kind of to help them look at Melbourne with new eyes, maybe beyond their own limited life experience and to help them sort of walk through the city and think about how other people might experience the same things as well. And so we actually start at Collins Street Baptist Church. And many of you have probably been involved or know more about Urban Seed than I do, but this is partly some of its origin story. And if I tell it poorly, forgive me, because it's how I tell it. Um, childlike confidence is a good way to do it, right? Um, and so I start these educational walks at Collins Street Baptist Church. And it has, I don't should have got a picture on the screen, but I haven't because I'm not that organised. So I'm going to try to paint a picture with words that if the steps were behind me to the church, it has lots of big steps leading up to it. It's got big columns, sort of Greco-Roman style. It's designed by the same architect that designed the town hall, and he really loves columns. So there's big columns, and there's sort of like a big, you know how like the Greek buildings, I'm going to use two hands here, triangly kind of things. So it's got a bit of that, and there's some shelter underneath that up on the big steps, and there's a bit of like wind blockage on either side as well. And nowadays there's all glass around it and there's a cafe. But about 20, 25 years ago there was no glass, there was no cafe. So there's just sort of empty space up on the steps there. And a lot of people who uh, were sleeping rough started sleeping on there, up there, which makes sense because it's off the street, which is really great so people are less likely to step over you. And it's quite sheltered both from the wind and the rain. So it was a good place. Now, if you also look out from that, you're on Collins Street, what they sometimes refer to as the Paris end of Melbourne, 
So there is like Louis Vuitton, Balenciaga, like literally all of the stores that I never walk into um, because I, you feel really awkward, or at least I do. I walked into one of them one day to try to see what would happen, and I didn't get served for 10 minutes even though it was completely empty. Um, so these are the kind of stores there, and people are sleeping rough. So it's a really interesting kind of difference happening there. And so people are sleeping rough there, and then obviously what happens on Sunday mornings, main event of the week, people start pouring into the church, which is awkward if there's people completely covering the front steps. Incredibly awkward. So the people in the church are kind of going, they're not sure what to do. Like, I don't know what I would know what to do if all of a sudden we had a, peop- a lot of people sleeping rough on our front steps. It's not really something that, like, you're torn and still like, this is what you do if people are sleeping rough out the front of somewhere you go regularly. And so there was lots of different conversations that were happening in that church, as I imagine would probably happen here or anywhere else where it happened. Whereas some people are like, I think we should move them on. Some people were sort of saying, oh, we should do something, but I don't know what's actually practical to do or okay to do or how to do it. And in the end, they did something really odd. A lot of people didn't live in the city in those days as much as they did now. This is like 25 years ago. So there's actually no supermarkets in the city. Um, And people were much more likely to commute. But they gave three young people from their community free rents up the back of the church in the hopes that they would get to know the community and get in on some of it. And so those three young people moved in, probably a bit naive, and very enthusiastic. And the idea was just that they would get to know them. Because how would you, could you really sort of do anything if you didn't actually know the people that were on your front doorstep? How can you help someone? I had quotation marks around the help there for people on the podcast. Um, if you don't actually know them or understand anything about what they're like. And so they moved in and then they started bringing down cups of tea and coffee in the morning. They were making tea and coffee one morning for themselves. I'm like, oh, how about we bring some down to the people who are sleeping down below and just see if they want some. And then this is where I usually ask my students, I'm like, how do you reckon that went down? And I might pick on one, maybe someone who's been like talking a bit. (laughs) Or like someone who's been annoying me. (laughs) I'm like, you want to be the centre of attention? Great. Um, Because I'm not petty at all. And I'll pick on them and I'll say, I'll be like, Rod, if I came up to you on the street and you'd never met me before, what's your favourite hot drink? Say that. Um, Any black coffee. Black coffee. You've never met me before and I'm like, would you like a black coffee? Would you take it? Mm, Probably not. Mm. I don't know. You don't know what you put in it. And that's that's probably the answer I get about 70% of the time. The other 30% of the time, people be really grateful that someone is giving right. me a, a free drink. This That'd be so amazing. natural and organic. Great. So I get both of those answers. Thank you, Rod. <laughs> Teamwork. Look at this. Acting. We didn't even rehearse that. You're getting it all. <laughs> I bet they're cooking tiles at home. Um, <laughs> and so I promise this is going somewhere. <laughs> and so some people were like, heck yes, and some people were like, heck no which is very fair because what the heck have they put in those drinks? Nobody knows. But the difference was that they kept doing it every single day. So after a while they realised, well, if they were poisoning it, something probably would have happened to someone by now, but it hasn't. Either that or they're playing a long game. Um, And so they started actually building relationships over those cups of tea and 
and they got to really know the people who worked there. And I don't have time for the rest of the story, but what they really learned from that, Brene Brown in her chapter of, I've forgotten what it's called, Maybe Braving the Wilderness, that could be a lie though. One of the chapters of the book is titled, People Are Hard to Hate Close Up. And that's kind of what happened on the set, is that they got to know the people. And a lot of things stood out of that. Eventually, there was like a 20-something years of holiday at the Rocky Mountain and a bunch of other things that were doing art trips that had come out of it. 25 years later, our education groups and other things were still going. But it all started with people who were And I think that's really and I think I see similar things happening close up. People often like sort of say to me like, oh my gosh, it's so amazing what you do or whatever it is. Um, but one of the things that I've really learned working there is that I'm often shown things that I don't deserve. Often I think more than I give it as well. It's not sort of like I'm showing hospitality to Indigenous people, like yay, nice things. It's often that, like, I'll come home and I'll have guests who are having a hard day in hospital and they go, don't worry about it. Or they'll share stories with me that it's just such an incredible privilege to hear and that the learning that I'm able to do just by being with them for a period of time is such uh, an honour to be able to participate in. Friendships that we make are incredible. Uh, we've had some guests who then we've travelled through, you know, where they live and they've come to see us. And so I think that hospitality and close working with the people. And like that quote that I said at the start, which I'll get up and explain now. If you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. And so that's by Lilla Watson, or attributed to her, and she's an Indigenous Australian called Maori visual artist. And she's a Gangaroo woman who grew up on the Dawson River in Central Queensland, which is within her mother's native country. And so I think coming back to that quote, what really sort of struck me about it in terms of the work that the Indigenous people have done, like that the longer that I've lived there and participated there and met people there, I've realised that it's... That if I'm sort of coming there to help people who have such a problematic history of white people and non-Indigenous people doing that, then I am wasting their time and we are wasting their time. But if we're coming because we want to learn alongside people, because we want to seek justice with people and because we realise that our community and our country's justice is tied up with theirs, that our liberation is all bound up together, then I think that's really important. Thank you. 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 Or when you've shown hospitality to folks and gone, wow, that's amazing. So 
I might give you like a couple of other things about the person next to you because I realize that that's kind of a big question and sometimes taking a second or two or bouncing off another person can help you boost that confidence. So I'll give you a few examples of that. All right, I might start bringing it back, even though that's always quite hard. I'm tempted to like name names, like I'm sure I feel like you are the bad girl there. There's like an underpass that you walk through if you want to get to the other side. Um, and a lot of um, people sleeping rough uh, will hang out there during the day because it's sheltered from wind and rain and stuff like that. And it's become quite a like normal spot for people to hang out in the past few years. And so maybe when people started to hang out there about five years ago, I was a very anxious person and I never knew what to do when I was walking past, but I kind of knew it wasn't appropriate to just ignore them, but I was too anxious, so I'd just walk past. And then over the years, I've like really tried hard to um, talk to people. And now I'm at the point where, oh, so I'm going to go back a little bit. Um, there was 
the first man that ever hung out there always used to say hello when I walked past. And I was really like, oh my gosh, what do I say? What do I say? Um, and then the more he did it, the more I was like, oh my gosh, that's so nice. Like, I want to, like, make an effort. Um, and he doesn't hang out there anymore. But there's another, there's a couple that hang out there now during the day. And um, every time I see them, I just sit down for like 10 minutes if I have time before the train and have got to know them and know about their life and their fiance, they're um, engaged and um, like they've told me about like what they do and all of their dreams. And um, I think in through that whole experience, I've come to learn so much about how my capacity to not be such an anxious person but to actually have something to offer these people even though I might not be able to change their lives but I can offer just like a nice conversation um, when most people would walk past and ignore them and I've sat down with them for like half an hour and noticed how many people would just walk past and not say hello um, and then I've come to learn what that's actually like as well so Um, right near Collins Street, I think it's one of those things that you know they could have just walked straight along and seen that that's not there. So I often come out to him, and he kind of hosts me in between the walks that I do because I often just can't get away. Um, so I'll go and sit with him, and he'll you know keep me entertained with stories, and sometimes we'll share a coffee, or sometimes he'll like offer food that he's been given to share, or and it's really interesting sort of being hosted by him sort of in the city and yeah it's the different ways that people interact it sort of reminds me of like you know what you need to host and where you can be hosted by who you are One of the things that I was reflecting on is um, bringing my own prejudices to a situation that presents itself and trying to, a couple of things I flicked through my mind some years ago um, at an office in Carlton and um, there were always the regulars that would hit you up for money, like you'd view them and, and, and you'd either give them something or, or else you'd okay, I'm going to do a beeline around the other way so I don't get hit up by the same customers. Sort of like. Um, and sometimes it gives some money, other times, no, I'm not in the mood and I'll go and do things. A little while ago, I was standing in Smith Street and, um, uh, and Jeanette had gone into the shops and we had a dog with us and it was a young um, Indigenous woman um, who I'd seen before just sitting on the footpath there and begging basically anyway so I was waiting and then this prejudice thing I thought if I get too close I'm gonna have to make conversation and if I go too far away like obviously from the shop it's sort of like, oh, no, look be the better person today you know so I just standing close and she said oh you know what sort of dog is it and so the conversation started and I, and I deliberately pushed myself past my immediate prejudice of like, and she's going to hit me up with 
And it wasn't like that at all. I ended up sitting down next to her and just heard us. She just just talked, just, you know, and she'd come across from Adelaide and she had my little sleep and, and all that. We had this great conversation just in the middle of it, which was about, for me, just trying to be present to this person and just be relaxed instead of, like, oh, do this or whatever. Do I want to do this? Where's it all going? You know, it was, I think... I think the reflection was just be present, listen, don't bring any stuff to this, you know, just hear the person. Um, this one's more about like an internal sort of prejudice where um, it's sort of like a, a quote that I often have, like, I'm, I'm better off alone or other people are scary, that kind of flavour. Um, and it was quite a while ago when I was, bad breakup and I'd already had tickets overseas to go to say Ireland and um, but that relationship was over so I, I then got a rental car and drove around Ireland for three weeks um, which was both fantastic and expensive um, but after a couple of weeks of, of spending a lot of time alone which I needed I think and I think that's perfectly okay when I get a long separation time um, I was driving past Galway and 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 said I I'm done being alone now I, I I would like to accept company so like letting letting down that that prejudice or that prejudicial wall of of needing space from people and I said okay well the next hitchhiker I see I'm going to stop and pull over and uh, it turns out that over the next hill there was three hitchhikers all part of a little group and um, one of them was carrying an African jambé the drum. And so I thought, well, I was going to do it anyway, but I thought, okay, this is going to be interesting. Um, turned out to be three Polish students. Um, they all piled into the car without any thought about who I would be, and I was, I was surprised at their um, confidence at, at being uh, a, a mini community, essentially. You know, I was cautious, but decided to stop. And, um, and anyway, they said, uh, okay, we're going to Limerick. And that's about a two-hour drive. And I said, oh, hang on, I'm, I'm actually going to go for a swim in, um, in, in a, a smaller town close by. And they said, oh, why don't you come to Limerick? And you're like, hang on, you didn't hear me. This is where I'm going. I'm the one driving. This is my rental car. This is my holiday sort of thing. I didn't say that. But then I thought, okay, this, this is one of those moments. This is when, like the, the quote, your life comes at you kind of thing. Um, I thought, okay, I'm going to go for a swim. If you guys come for a swim with me, I'll then take you to Limerick. Now, the water temperature in Ireland is, is very, very low, and it's actually painful to swim. It's very fre- refreshing. And, and they, said, they said, no, they're not doing it. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to Limerick. So we sat, we sat in this, this um, tension, and then it was like, okay. They said, we'll join you for a swim as long as you take us to Limerick. And, and I thought, this is cool. And so we all went for a swim. Now, I had my swimmers because I was um, Australian, and I'd always carry them with me. They didn't, but they got down to their underwear. It was one, one girl and two guys, um, Victor and Casper and another person. This is like, like 20 years ago. I still remember this. And there's a photo of us all jumping into the, the water in Ireland and absolutely freezing. Um, but then they turned to me afterwards and said, okay, take us to Limerick. Um, and yeah, I, I committed now. You know, That was kind of the, the conditions. Um, whilst on the road trip, um, we were singing songs and they were playing the drums in the back. And then when I got to Limerick, they convinced me to stay because there's a house party. And 
I didn't realize this at the time, but they'd actually made a phone call saying, literally, but I couldn't understand it because it was in Polish, we've got an Australian guy, quick, let's, bring a, let's make a party. So all of their Polish friends came around <laughs> to meet this Australian guy. Not that I was about me, like it's student parties, that no excuses needed sort of thing. But, but basically it created a house party, which is a community thing. And it was one of the best nights of my life because of the community feeling. Like, they just came together. It was all about being together. They were singing Polish. I remember after quite a few beers, I was playing that drum and I lo- on, on the floor and I looked up and there was 20 Polish people, um, arms over their shoulders, swaying, singing some traditional Polish piece that I didn't understand at all. And I was going, this is just surreally awesome. Like, such a beautiful community thing. And, and they were, like, some of my best memories. And that wouldn't have happened unless I'd let down my prejudice of my fear of people. Okay, I'll let those hitchhikers in. And the rest was just so worth it. So it was, it's a good reminder that people are much better up close than people on the phone. Thanks, Matt. Maybe just one quick one from Alan, because I'm conscious of the time. Midday. High noon. So I live in the CBD, and yeah, as such, there are also a lot of uh, people living rough, you know, immediately outside the front door and in the doorways. You know, I walk past every morning. There's, yeah, there are a few regulars, and there's uh, there's one particular gentleman called Daryl. Um, you know, I've just sort of got to know a little bit, and um, he's really made the effort to say hello to to me and to Stuart, my my two year old, when we go past. And for anyone here who's ever tried to um, get to know Stuart or engage with Stuart, you'll know quite well that he likes to stare at you and observe for several hours before making any sort of interaction. He's, he doesn't warm up to people fast. He's, he's a very, very careful judge of character. Um, but yeah, Daryl is just such a lovely guy and he's just given Stuart the space and everything. So every time we go past, Stuart will wave and say hi to Daryl and everything. And so about six months ago, we are going past and we stopped and said hello and said, do you want to tell Daryl what day it is? He said, it's my birthday. Like one you're celebrating a birthday party. Ah, oh, well, I've got something for you here. How old are you? I'm two. And, and so Daryl grabs his backpack and pulls out a little um, second birthday sparkly badge and gives his, I've got a birthday present for you. I've been wondering when I'd have an opportunity to use this. I'm just, and I was just absolutely floored. I'm thinking like, this guy has nothing. Like he lives out, lives on the street outside my house, and here's it's my two-year-old's birthday, and, has, and gives him gives him a present. And like Stuart wore this badge around all week, just going, "Look what Daryl gave me." He just thought it was the greatest thing ever. And it, yeah, it was just such a moment of wow. Like for, for someone in such a different situation to me, that was just it. it yeah, I really have no idea what to make of it. It's just thanks, Alan. Basically, I just wanted to say thank you to this community and to you all who are part of it for the hospitality that you've shown me over the years. I think I've been here like nearly four years now or something. And when I first came, I came with a friend of mine and we uh, were quite burnt out. We'd had some, had, and I'd had some traumatic experiences at the Christian church, like a lot of us. Um, and I remember saying to my friend, like, don't let me sign up because I think if I 
Um, and I didn't. And uh, I so appreciate that this was a community where I could also just receive that hospitality. I think for the first six months, I really feared that I was going to be that. And this was a beautiful place um, that I could do that and then also regain energy to hopefully be able to give back in some ways as well. And I just wanted to name that and to thank this beautiful community for the hospitality that you show to me and to um, so many others. Because I think that's pretty that's pretty cool. Um, Rod and I are going to say a prayer in a bit. It's a prayer that we say a lot at the Indigenous Hospitality House um, in sort of our own reflection times. Um, the house is kind of Christian. It's Christian in that most of the residents are Christian, but we're not like trying to convert anyone or proselytizing or we don't do anything to our guests. I feel like that's important to name because there's a real history of that. Um, and we're very sort of aware of that. But um, it's a prayer of St. Francis that we say a lot. So Rod and I will probably say the prayer and then I was maybe going to do some liturgy, but I think I'm going to leave it. We're running out of time. I think that I'll just let the communion kind of speak for itself. So after we say the prayer, I invite you to find a teapot and some teapot friends. And uh, there's loose leaf tea leaves there of both green tea and just regular black tea. There's milks around at the coffee and tea station. So there's a bunch of strainers you may need to share them. Some of the teapots have inbuilt strainers though, so check it out. Um, so find some teapots and some friends. And um, I hope that if you have time, you'll have communion tea together um, and maybe show a little bit of hope and maybe give and receive some hospitality together. So Rod and I will say this prayer and then we'll let you go in peace and be free from us. Um, so you're ready. Mm -hmm. uh, loving God, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. Loving God, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Thank you.